I'm Chris Epting, and this is Roadside Baseball, the podcast. Everybody, this is Lindsay Nelson at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, California, welcoming you to another doubleheader. Brought to you by Ryan. I just could not resist using the New York Mets theme song, that version there from a 1963 broadcast. The Mets were out in Los Angeles playing a doubleheader against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. And uh, Meet the Mets, of course, was the theme song for all of us Met fans growing up in the 60s. That song was just burned in our young minds, and hearing Lindsey Nelson's voice there at the end of that clip come in to introduce the game really does bring back a lot of fond memories. Uh, you may have heard it too. Today's guest on Roadside Baseball, the podcast, grew up in New York as well, like I did, and she was a Met fan too growing up. Her name is Jean Fruth, and she is, uh, without a doubt, one of the preeminent sports photographers uh, in the world today. If you don't follow her on social media, you really should. Her adventure is so fascinating and so compelling. She's not just a good photographer. She's a good writer, tells good stories about her images. Um, currently, she's a traveling photographer for La Vida Baseball, a digital media company that tells the story of Latino baseball across the United States and Latin America through original video, written, and social content. Um, but she's got a new book out, and it's called Grassroots Baseball, Where Legends Begin. And it's really a wonderful book. It uh, it features hundreds of her amateur baseball images, along with stories from some really prominent, very famous baseball legends. And I'm going to let her describe um, what the motivation for the book was, what the content is like, and uh, and more more things about her history. Like I said, she is just a an incredible storyteller. Uh, through through images and words, and it was a pleasure to speak with her. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. It runs about a half an hour or so, and then I'll be back to wrap things up. But we go into a lot of different um, aspects about her career, what got her started, um, how she sort of passes it down to younger photographers today, and just what the journey has been like since the beginning. So with that, here's my conversation with the terrific Jean Fruth. I'll be back after after the interview. Gene, thanks a lot for joining me today. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is your book because what you've created here is um, is something really special that I think, look, there's a lot of baseball books out there. There always have been. There always will be. But your strike's a very emotional chord, not just visually, but also the stories that, that are built in, I think, really make um, grassroots baseball where legends begin something really special. Talk about the project, how it came together, sort of what the what the beginning of it was for you and, and, and just what you think of the results. Um, well, thank you for the kind words on the book. And um, as I was traveling really the world shooting both Major League Baseball and professional baseball, I always took the time to shoot the amateur game, the grassroots game. And that's everything from sandlots in Mexico, small villages in the Dominican Republic, old guys playing stickball on the streets of New York City. 
and my archives were growing immensely from all the amateur baseball I'd been photographing over the years, and so much of it had never been seen. And during my tenure with the Baseball Hall of Fame as its traveling photographer, I had the opportunity to meet, photograph, visit with many of its Hall of Famers, and I heard their stories of growing up, and I started to realize that they represent the hopes and dreams of so many, and I thought it would be cool to tie them into the project. So I did some research, and I really couldn't find anything out there like uh, what I was envisioning for this book. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so then it became, you know, grassroots baseball where legends begin and um, got to put those archives, those photos together and uh, create this project. Talk about some of the people you worked with, some of the names that are that are in the book that share their stories, because you've had some really special experiences with people like Cal Ripken, like Johnny Bench, I mean, like Hank Aaron, some really uh, important people that have opened up to you and shared aspects of their life that are really personal and really tie into the theme of the book. Yeah, the, the stories really, to me, is what makes the book special. You know, it's... Um... It's 15 chapters, and so it's really representing 15 regions. And each chapter opens with a legend telling their story. And so Hank Aaron tells this, you know, amazing story of what it was like, you know, growing up um, in Mobile, Alabama, and um, uh, and especially at a a time um, that he was in, just what he had to endure and persevere during, you know, the height of racism and inequality mm-hmm. in America and, you know, what, what a beacon of hope he became, he became for so many. So that's the kind of stories that, I mean, he doesn't talk about that in particular, but, you know, working for the, um, uh, the, the mobile, uh, black bears and, um, and just his story of leaving home and starting, you know, his path to major league baseball I mean, it's incredibly poignant, and um, um, he's certainly a tribute and a baseball icon. So tying that in, you know, with these these kids from Mobile playing on all different levels Mm -hmm. and, you know, the kids being able to see that, you know, you can, you know, become a Major League Baseball star from, you know, any town, any small town. And, you know, these guys are certainly, you know... um, uh, they're, they're beacons of hope. And, and even if, you know, you're only, you know, you just want to go out and play baseball and, you know, it's not about becoming a major league baseball player, still these guys really, you know, um, they're, they're role models for, for these kids and for communities. I think it's great that you tie those together because obviously too often with younger generations, they're unaware of what things were like. I think back sometimes to coming of age as a baseball fan in the 1970s and being kind of unaware at the time that people I would go and see play like Hank Aaron had actually had Negro League careers before they were who we accepted them as in the 70s. Like there was still that time period, but today there's really none of that. So I think the youth, unfortunately, don't have the opportunities to learn about that. You know, the fact that it wasn't that long ago when somebody like a Hank Aaron had to play by different rules, you know, and I think a book like like this is is great and valuable because it doesn't just teach you about baseball, but it teaches you about American history and, and American culture and just um, how things have changed, you know, in just a matter of decades. Uh, I don't know if that was part of the intent, but it, there really is this kind of nice other value to, I think, beyond baseball that really hits a nice chord. 
Yeah, it, 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 it's certainly the intent to show kids and to tie it in, um, tie it together. And, you know, when I get feedback from um, parents who, like, show their kids the book or the kids are reading the book, it just makes me, like, young baseball players, it does make me so happy because tying in um, the history is really important and how much we learn from our baseball history. And, yes, even though they're not experienced, like, say, the Negro Leagues, I mean, there's also new um, challenges that kids like in Mobile, Alabama, are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the inequality as far as uh, travel ball and socioeconomic situations where kids, very athletic kids, are, you know, being left behind because they don't have the same opportunity because of, of money. Right. Um, and so when, and they, when they, can, they see someone like a Hank Aaron um, do what he did, you know, and there, there's these incredibly athletic kids out there, and hopefully, you know, they persevere and say, you know, I can do this too. Gene, there are these great baseball stories in the book. Let's talk about your baseball story a little bit. Why don't you tell us how, what your path to the game was as a fan? You know, what, what first brought you in? What was your team? Who was your player growing up? Give, give us a sense of, of, of what your personal baseball journey has been like. Well, I grew up in New York City in Chelsea, and my family later moved to Queens, and my, my, my family was not a baseball family. My dad was. My dad was a hockey fan. My grandfather was a Mets fan, mm-hmm. and so Mets were my first. You know, he listened to Mets games on the radio, and so that was my first. You know, the Mets were, were our team, and we kind of took that, and then I worked at a restaurant, and they were big Mets fans, the owners, and they had... Um, uh, season tickets, and I would occasionally get to go to Mets games. Um, the restaurant I was close with the owners, and uh, they would take me to some Mets games. And that was my earliest um, uh, baseball experience. Was kind of growing up a Mets fan, and then fast forward to being in Northern California, and I was already I was uh, in the portrait business. Um, started a portrait business, became partners with two women in Northern California, all black and white film. I did my own developing, printing. Um, had a dark room, um, and then started coaching my son's rookie ball team and then <laughs> little league team. And uh, I was coaching rookie ball, you know, which is before uh, little league. Right. And little league called me and they said, "Hey, we hear you're coaching. We 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 would love to have you next year coaching little league." And I said, "Oh no, if this is this is going to be it for my coaching career. I'm not going any further than rookie ball." I I um, I'm not much of a coach, you know. There's better than others out out there that are better, and um, but uh, they did want they wanted female coaches, they wanted women coaches, um, so they talked me into it and said, "We'll put you with some really good baseball uh, guys, and uh, you'll be fine." And I was, and they they were right. It was terrific, and I ended up coaching up to the seventh grade. And every year, I'd ask my son, "Are you sure you still want me to coach?" <laughs> He's like, "Everybody loves you coaching." And so, I was a good recruiter of coaches. And really, what I did was photograph it more than anything else. I could, you know, make a lineup. I was good at all the organization. Everything the other guys like didn't want to do, <laughs> I would do. Um, you're literally you're coaching mom you're taking pictures when does the photography oh and by the way do you become a giants fan when you move to the bay area or what's your what's your allegiance when you're up there now uh yeah i don't have an allegiance to giants or A's just because i'm close to so many players coaches people in both organizations and 
after a while, you just kind of become, uh, well, I, you know, a fan of the game and mm-hmm. all the all the individuals that represent it. You know, my son was a Giants fan in his early years just because his friends were. And, sure. You know, and um, now he's also grown to really appreciate both. But, you know, so but going from the portrait business to the bit to photography as a uh, baseball photography as a career was quite interesting because I submitted um, photos to the local paper of all-star games. And they said, wow, this is great. Could you send us more? And then they approached me to start shooting high school and college sports for them. And specifically, they wanted football. And so that's how I ended up starting my career into sports photography. And the portrait business was great, but it was never really what I intended to do um, in photography. It was just uh, kind of a, a good place to start. And I had an opportunity in portrait. But once I fell into sports photography and had that opportunity, I just never looked back. It was just absolutely my calling and what I wanted to do, and the passion was just so there for, for, for that, that type of photography. What really strikes me is that your images, you, you obviously know how to tell a story through pictures. And look, baseball is arguably the most photographed game of, of all time, so there have been lots of you know very effective photographers but i think you really key in on story is it something you consciously do or do you think it comes naturally the fact that you find a story in a photo as opposed to just an action shot that you do that there is always something going on where you can even if you don't tell the story and you're a good writer i think when you describe your images you bring it to life but even without those words there always seems to be an inherent story is it something you look for or does it happen naturally for you is there, I mean, there's always baseball being played, you know, somewhere in the world, right, every month of the year. And capturing the action on the field is certainly exhilarating, and it's where you start as a baseball photographer. But then there's just so much more, you know, including all the people and the places that are part of the game's landscape. You know, it provides this look inside the national pastime. It's really cultural, you know, and I really learn that the game is so much more than a sport. It's dreams, it's aspirations, it's stories of so many people wherever I go. You know, the culture of baseball is so way beyond, so much bigger than what happens on the field. So that's really when it became, you know, more interesting is is telling the stories. There's, um, And baseball looks different in, in different places. So... Now, when I look for, you know, what am I, what, what, what's a, you know, a great baseball um, photograph for me? Well, it's got to, you know, tell a story. It's got to have a sense of place. It's got to show culture, and that's tricky. But when you get it done, it really just becomes, you know, so much more than just an action shot. Mm-hmm. How do you contra- c- compare and contrast, say, shooting a major league game versus something much smaller, an independent league, sandlot game? What is, what's that dichotomy like for you as a photographer? Is one easier than the other um, on any level? Um, a lot of times you, can, you have uh, more room to be creative when it's not a major league baseball game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's major league baseball game. The time happens when it happens. Okay. It's a (laughs) seven Oh five start. Nothing you can do about a seven Oh five start. You know, it's already dark. You don't have the pretty light, you know, and maybe there's only certain restrictions of where you can shoot. Um, so you're kind of bound by what you're able to do. If you're a team photographer, you have a lot more access. 
in certain ballparks, you may have more access. You can still get creative. You just got to think about it. You know, everybody wants to be in the photo wells, right? But if you sit in the photo wells at first and third, you're going to get the same old results every single time. So if there's a way that you can get out of those photo wells and find a different angle, you know, that's, that's interesting. When I'm shooting uh, my sandlot, my amateur baseball, uh, I can be a little bit more choosy uh, as to what I shoot and when I shoot it. So I look at schedules and put together the puzzle and say, oh, th- you know, there's a 5 o'clock game. Well, that's going to be really beautiful light if the weather's good. You know, and those are the kind of things I'm looking for. And then getting to the ballpark early, and really, it's almost any angle you want if you can figure it out. So then you're looking for... Well, what's your background? I mean, if you're in the South and there's a beautiful old church, you know, one angle, well, maybe you want that as your background, you know, or maybe, you know, if you're in Pittsburgh and you have bridges, those beautiful bridges, you want that, you know, so you can choose your background and create, you know, more of a sense of place um, and hopefully something unique. Were there photographers in, in this part of the business, once you made the transition into sports photography, that you learned from in particular, did you have a mentor or is it something that you sort of figured out on your own? No, I definitely didn't figure it out on my own. Thank God for my mentors. My God, um, when I got the job of shooting for this group of newspapers, it was five newspapers shooting college sports, and uh, I shot my first football game. It was a high school football game, and I was so awful at it. I thought I knew the game of football. <laughs> when <laughs> I started shooting it, I had everything wrong, and I called my friend Baron Wallman who is the, was the first photographer for Rolling Stone magazine. Barron's 82 years old, and we've been friends for a long time. And I told him, and he shot the Oakland Raiders one year just for a project. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I took this job, and I'm, I really just suck at it, honestly. And uh, I, don't, I don't know really what I'm going to do. So I still have it, but I don't think I'm going to have it for long. And he said, you should call my friend Michael Zagaris, who is the photographer for the Oakland A's and for the uh, San Francisco 49ers and who still is. And Michael changed my life. And I spoke to him that same week. He invited me to an Oakland A's game. And it was uh, when the, when both football and baseball are going on at the same time, when you have that crossover month and everything, Michael changed my life, how I shoot, what I do. He's a, he's a legend. He also shot rock and roll. He's known as the Z-Man to those who know him. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I just, I owe him, you know, so much of how I shoot. And and had it not been for him, I would be a completely different photographer today because he's very much a behind-the-scenes guy. For Z, everything happens before the game even begins. So I learned this way of shooting that I assumed everybody did. He would sit in front of the visiting dugout, the Oakland A's, and it's the only dugout that doesn't have a railing. Right. And he would chat with teams and chat with players. And knew, I mean, he was always in the movie. He was never a fly on the wall. He was always part of the scene with his wide-angle lens, you know, just capturing those moments. And that's how I learned. I learned from him. And, and um, there were some other photographers along the way. Brad Mangin is one of them who was tremendous to my career. And he taught me about having a plan and going to the ballpark with a purpose. He always had a plan you know, amazing sports photographer and um, very organized. And Steve Fine, who was um, director of photography for uh, um, Sports Illustrated for 17, 18 years, and now he works for a company called Flipboard. He taught me how to edit and what a picture is. And he edited my work early on and 
uh, thanks to him, I know what a picture is, mm-hmm. and I certainly know what a picture is not. And he makes no bones about it. And um, he was uh, also tremendous in my career, still is. Helped me with the book tremendously, editing it. So I, I owe my mentors a ton, you know, and I hope, you know, anytime I can give back to younger photographers or photographers just starting out, I, I always want to do it. Well, I was going to say, you, you, find, you must find yourself now in kind of a mentor capacity, um, given what you've done, all that you've done and all that you've captured. I'm sure there are young photographers that come to you and, and, and try and pick your brain for advice and things. Is it, 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 you pass this along, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And uh, it's great, you know, when you have a chance to speak to photographers, you know, or you work with somebody and anytime I can do it, you know, and your people reach out to you, you know, if they have the passion and you can tell the ones who have the passion, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to help. Gene, of all the things that you've shot, and this is it's a horrible question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pose it anyway. <laughs> are there are there are there a couple of images that you think about it when you think about what's definitive for you of what captures your style or a moment or something that could never be replicated again? Are there a couple of three images maybe that you think about that are the ones that that, that just you 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 look at and think, yes, that's it. That's the culmination of everything I ever dreamed of in that photo. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously making a great picture keeps me excited, you know, drives me every single time. I mean, so, you know, telling the stories, you know, the cultures is is what um, I always want to do. At the end of the day, it's trying to make an iconic picture. That's something that's going to resonate, you know, in people's minds long after they turn off their phones or close the book. So um, I, I feel really good. I'll go back to... I mean, there's a lot of moments that were exciting to me, you know, in the book when I look at, um, back to the Mobile, Alabama chapter, um, there's one, you know, image where I invited four uh, historically black um, high schools to come to Hank Aaron's childhood home in full uniform. And uh, it was a difficult shot to put together, just getting everybody there. I only had one day. It was a lot of rain at the time, and we we got this shot done, and um, it's it's just something I'm very proud of, and it's a shot of of all these kids posing on uh, on Hank Aaron's house. We left the rocking chair empty mm-hmm. in the center mm-hmm. out of respect for Hank. That's his rocking chair, and it's letting everybody know, hey, we're right here. All these kids are, you know, there's athletic kids everywhere, and. You know, maybe they don't have the money or they don't have travel ball and they don't have private instruction, but um, don't forget about us because uh, uh, we're important too. And, um, and that, that photo means, means just a ton to me. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I had the opportunity, Hank Aaron looked through the book and through the Mobile chapter in particular, and he said, wow, this is really Mobile. Mm. And Boy. as you can imagine, that was that <laughs> felt absolutely amazing. It was like, okay, I could check that off. They got that job done, and you know, when when Hank tells you you got your sense of place right, yeah, um, that's pretty good. And what memories it brought back for him, sure, if, you know, it felt great. You know, and then it's really just about the journey and experiences for me. You know, I had an opportunity to be in Puerto Rico with Vera Clemente um, and documented. Um, the spot where the plane went down and uh, told the story of Roberto Clemente in Puerto Rico through my pictures and through her. And uh, it was a very, it was an incredible moment. Nobody had ever been to this, this crash before. And her, her, her and her family 
um, every New Year's Eve, go to the spot, throw flowers and say a prayer. And uh, I got to be a part of that. And they asked me to put my cameras down and hold hands and say the prayer with them. And, you know, absolutely incredible. And I look, you know, it's the memories and the moment and, Mm -hmm. and the journey that you get to be a part of for some of these things that that's what it's about. Well, you, you do a wonderful job of sharing um, parts of your journey on social media and the like, which I think obviously today is a great thing to to have people give people the ability to follow along. You know, you've been on the move a lot. You've been touring um, with the book a lot. Why don't you give us a sense of what the rest of your rest of your summer into fall is like? Where you're going to be? What you're going to be doing? What, where this project is going to lead you? Yeah, so the, I mean, the goals grassroots baseball where legends begin. The book was the first step, mm-hmm. and as I was developing the book over the last couple of years, I was giving thought as to how to turn that concept into more than a book. Um, and I was working closely with um, recently retired Hall of Fame president uh, Jeff Idelson on the book. He helped me with contributors and some of the Hall of Famers that um, wrote their essays. Mm-hmm. And um, now uh, he's decided to join me as the co-founder of Grassroots Baseball and now it's bigger. It's a mission to promote and celebrate the amateur game around the, gro- the globe, you know, with a focus on just growing the interest and the participation at those young levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so the venture has now become bigger. We're only two people, but we have some fun, you know, people backing us and sponsors. And we decided to launch the venture along route, historic Route 66. So we started in May, and the tour will conclude at the end of October. So it started in Chicago. It ends in Santa Monica. And uh, we're just documenting Americana tied into baseball along the route while we also um, do things like clinics with kids. We're giving kids uh, boys and girls clubs we're connecting with, and they're getting a free Rawlings glove in baseball. And we're putting gloves in hands of kids who never played baseball before. It's really just a lot of fun and eventually it will turn into a book project as well. So it will be grassroots baseball route 66. Pretty amazing that you came into this as, um, you know, a little league mom, a coach, a photographer, and now you're actually helping to, to shape the game and the appreciation and the awareness. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good story arc right there. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's, it's small. We're two people. It's grassroots. Well, of course, but, but everything you know, you starts start somewhere. somewhere. I mean, and that's a, you know, again, the mission is so profound and important that, you know, I, obviously people will, will, will come along and want to be part of it. But, but again, the fact that you're doing it, you're actually taking your time to do it, I think really speaks to not just a love of the game, but a love of, of, you know, again, what's bigger than the game of, of helping create awareness of helping young people find themselves and, you know, make sure their journey um, is, is fair and, and, and just and they have opportunities they may not have had before. That's all really good stuff that, again, you know, it's baseball, but again, it's a little bit bigger than baseball, too. Yeah. And, you know, and, the, and the, the retired players and legends who have already joined us along the way and really love the concept. I mean, I'm not handing them the Rawlings glove. Nobody cares that the photographer gives them a glove. But when Johnny Bench hands you your first glove, well, that's pretty cool. And we've had uh, Jim Tomey and Ozzie Smith and Goose Gossage is our national spokesman. He comes to different events along the way at uh, different stops. He's already been to two. He's going to do another one. Um, We have Trevor Hoffman, actually, uh, in a couple of weeks in Amarillo. Um, and we'll do an event with him and a boys and girls club. And 
it's just uh it's, well, look, but I mean, really cool. I've seen those pictures and the fact that you're there to capture those stories and the looks on those kids' faces. I mean, that really is a huge part of the magic. You're preserving and documenting something. These once-in-a-lifetime moments that really do speak to a higher kind of goal. And I think, again, the project just feeds itself on such great energy and such positive spirit that it, it obviously, I think, is going to be not just a success, but, but you know, a game-changer for a lot of people. So... You know, again, it's it's super impressive. And, and speaking as a fan, I, mean, I know I speak for a lot of other people saying thanks a lot for, for all the investment and all the heart and soul on something like this. Oh, thank you. I really, it's, uh, it's all I want to do. Just the best. Jean, what's the so best way to get the, the book? The road. What's the best way to get the book? I know it's on Amazon, but you've also got, you can get a signed copy through your site as well, right? Yeah, grassrootsbaseballbook.com. So if you go to grassrootsbaseballbook.com, it'll take you right to the purchase page, and um, yeah, and you can get a signed copy. And I'm also happy to do a personalized copy too. Just reach out to me, and I'm happy to you know, sign it off to somebody's dad or write a special note in it and make it something special. Fantastic, Gene. Thanks a lot for taking time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, so great. Thanks for having me. Jean Fruth, and again, her website is jeanfruthimages.com, J-E-A-N-F-R-U-T-H, images.com. You can look at a lot of Jean's work there, and of course, as she describes there, you can purchase the book, Grassroots Baseball, Where Legends Begin, and she'll sign it and inscribe it however you like. Really enjoyed that conversation, and, and again, I encourage you to follow Jean on social media. She's always posting great, great images and stories from the road that really take you inside her experience. Which is, uh, which is a pleasure to follow. With that, um, I'm Chris Epting. This has been Roadside Baseball a Podcast. Going to go out today just as we started with the classic New York Mets uh, theme song from the 1960s, Meet the Mets. They may still use it. I think they probably still use it on some level. But this is, again, from a 1963 broadcast, radio broadcast, uh, out in Los Angeles. Mets are in town for a doubleheader against the Dodgers, and it all started like this. Thanks for listening. This is Lindsay Nelson at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, California, welcoming you to another doubleheader. Brought to you by Ryan.